0: This uh, byline is called Guarding the Good Deposit, and we have uh, synthesized that down to the main message that Paul is trying to get across to Timothy in this letter is, guard the truth. The truth that is found here in the Word of God. I don't want to do too much preamble this morning because I've got a fair bit to cover with you in these amazing eight verses, but I'd like to start off by saying I'm going to pray as I usually do after I read the text. I'd really like to encourage everyone here this morning because I know I know we've all had a week. I know some of us have had a day. Um, So there's a lot going on in our minds. And I'm just going to encourage all of us to still our hearts, to still our minds, and uh, hear past me and hear from the Holy Spirit today. Hear God communicate his word today, okay? That would be my heart for you because I know, I know. Same with me. So I need this prayer as much as you. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. If you have a Bible with you, uh, open it there, please, or on your phone tablet, it'd be great. We do have Bibles at the back if you'd like to use one of our uh, theater Bibles, as we call them. And uh, we're going to begin reading right now in verse 1. Paul writing uh, the beginning of his conclusion. This is part 1 of the conclusion. Next week will be part 2 of the conclusion of this letter. And it's an amazing start to the conclusion. Paul writing to his beloved son, Timothy. Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and as a kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father, I know not just from this text today, but we know from this text today that we are currently right now in your presence. You're not just present with us, we are in your presence, and you have been witnessing everything that happens here this morning, even before we got here. Lord, Lord, we're grateful that you're that kind of God, that you are that God, <laughs> our God, who knows everything. So we are grateful for your presence here this morning, and I just pray, Holy Spirit, especially today, that you would you would help us all to just clear our thoughts, clear our minds, hear these words as coming from you, inspiring the apostle Paul to write them on his deathbed to his beloved son Timothy, to the church in Ephesus and to us here today. So I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. I don't know how many times I've said this. I think some of you are thinking I'm, I'm, I'm losing myself. But this is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. I think I said that two weeks ago, right? It is. Every time we get to these kind of things, and I've read them over and over, and, of course, anyone who's, quote, a preacher would say that, right? But I want to show you today this is not just about, never is, just about me. Are about the preacher, it's about all of us. It truly is. So your sermon title today is for all of us. It is this. Fulfill your ministry. It's on screen, I hope. I hope to show you through this text today the three points that are in it. Number one, the charge to proclaim. Number two, what lies ahead? And number three, passing the torch. So two weeks ago, you'll remember... Again, we, we, we looked at one of those favorite passages of Pastor Glenn in the Bible, and it truly was. It was an amazing passage. It's a great passage in the letter. We heard the Apostle Paul in that passage, chapter 3, verses 10 to 17, doing a lot of reminding of Timothy. You know, like, again, it's like Timothy is struggling. These letters are responses from the Apostle Paul to his son in the faith who is struggling. He's really struggling, and he's trying to encourage him. And so part of his encouragement is to say, I just want to remind you. I want to remind you, remember your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice? Remember how they raised you in the sacred writings, which is the Old Testament? And then they, they led you to faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ? Remember that. You needed it, and you're going to need it, and we all need those type of memories. And then he also suggests to me, you, you should also remember all the things that you and I did together. The 10 years we spent together on the road, me showing you what good ministry looks like what the Christian life looks like. Remember that, Timothy, right? And then I highlighted something for you that I want to show you because it's part of today's text. Because this is concluding, right? This is going on. This is is not separate. It's going on from what we saw two weeks ago. And it says in chapter 3, verse 10, these words. You, Timothy, however, you have followed my teaching, my conduct. I emphasized this last week and I'm emphasizing it again this morning my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. In saying these things, he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, you followed me well. I also want to remind you of that and encourage you. You followed me, man. You're following Jesus because I'm following him and you're following me while I'm following Jesus. But you and I did this together. You experienced these two things with me. This is the ultimate passage on discipleship in the local church. Really, it is, or one of them anyway. And it was beautiful. So I emphasized and highlighted last year my aim in life during the message. And of course, I asked one of my lovely questions, which I tend to do from time to time, which is, okay, do you know what your aim in life is? Now, I don't know what happened in your missional community group, but we had a pretty interesting discussion about that. A few people were more than taken by that and went, whoa, hang on, hang on. I don't know if I've actually written down like a mission statement, my aim in life. I don't know if I could actually articulate that right now. I don't know if it's the same as it was 10, 15 years ago. I don't even know. if my, Maybe my, my life is aimless at this point. Anybody? That was the point. So anyway, why, why did I ask that question? Well, because it's a good question. Not because I came up with it. It comes from the text. It's there. We need to look at that. And, and it's the question that it overflows to today, and that's why I'm bringing it up. So as we review Paul's life, it's rather clear. This is, I think, rather clear. Paul understood his aim in life. Do we all pass the test? That would be true, wouldn't it? He understood it. This is him writing, and these words that we read here this morning are words that he knows that within months... He will lose his life on the outskirts of Rome by being beheaded. He knew his aim in life. He also knew where it was going to end up. And he never wavered from his aim in life. It's incredible. It's wonderful. And so again, I want to encourage you, like when he writes these words to Timothy, you all, we all know this, right? This letter... Timothy didn't just read it and put it underneath his pillow, right? And go, oh, this is just really wonderful. I've got encouragement from Paul. No, he took it into the church and read it to the church or even had one of the other elders in the church read it to the church. And then they unpacked it week after week after week. And I know, I'm sure, that Timothy said, hey, guys, this is not just for me. This is not just for me. It's for all of us. It's for all of us to fulfill our ministry. So friends, I, I'm sure you will agree that the world we live in today, as we've seen through First and Second Timothy and our study in First Peter last year, that uh, those days are not so different from today. We, we think they are. We think we're more advanced, or maybe we think they're worse. Well, in some ways they are, but they're the same. They're, they're virtually identical in so many ways. However, it would be true that I would suggest to you today, and I want to look at this with you, that we're maybe a little bit further down the road. No, we really are, thanks to the Enlightenment and the 16th, 17th, 1800s, and modernity where we are today. We're way down the road to something called the autonomous self. Anyone heard of that? Not just in Christian circles, but in philosophical circles. It's, it's well-known. The autonomous self is well-known. And that's where we've arrived mostly today. Most of us have been raised, listen, And told something by our beloved parents. I know I was. And I know some of you maybe have fallen into this with your own children. And it's this words We say to our kids, you can do or be anything you want in this life. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? Sounds awesome, we, we say that, and, and so what are we doing well we 're actually teaching, and it 's because listen it 's the mantra of our world we 've been raised in it we 're in the soup it 's getting warmer and warmer, and it 's been the culture 's motto and mantra from well at least the40s and '50s past the, the you know, the baby boomer years i 'm kind of the last of them, okay. But that's what we were told. You can do whatever you want to do. And so there's kind of two sides of a coin that I want to show you today. But basically, there's two sides of a coin that'll help us see what I think Paul's trying to do today and the Holy Spirit wants to do for us is this. One side of the coin is this. We are told that no one can tell us who or what we want to be. That's fully up to ourselves. Have we not arrived at a day where the autonomous self is such like, such that, yeah, I will decide that I'm no longer this, but I'm this, right? That's how we got here, by the way. That's how we've been getting here. So from parents to teachers, friends and mentors, we've all heard this mantra so often, it's no wonder that it's actually the dominant side of the coin. I want you to picture a coin. I don't care what it is, a loony, a toonie, a, a, a quarter. There's a head side and a tail side. I'll tell you what, whenever I flip for whatever it's going to be, I, I always pick heads. Because you know what? I don't want to be the tail. <laughs> Just letting you know, okay? The tail send, tends to wag the dog. So I'm going to say that th- that's the tail side in this scenario. But that's what we're led to believe, right? The innocent premise, listen, I understand. I, we did it, okay? We did it. My Janice and I did it. Our boys turned out relatively okay. <clears throat> but we did it. And I, the innocent premise is we want our children to have confidence. Amen? Yes, of course we want them to have confidence. And, and, and from a protective perspective, we don't want them to be influenced by people that they shouldn't be influenced by, right? So we're trying to protect them. It's, it's, it's a natural thing. However, that becomes a significant problem when and if you become a follower of Jesus Christ. You become a Christian. Because one of the first things you're going to realize as you read this good book is that all of that on the tail side of the equation is phooey. It's a Greek word. It's just not true. In its basic sense, it's not true. The reality is, and you know this, Christians, you know this, we're all created in the image of God. And at the end of the day, he is sovereign over all things. And at the end of the day, he created everyone, whether people believe it or not. He created us with an aim and a purpose for our lives. So the other side of the coin is, it's just not true. It's just not correct. So his aim and purpose for our lives remains constant. And as I hope we will see, it is for our good. It's always for our good. He's the designer, guys, right? He designed you. He designed me. There's some flaws, I'll admit, right? But he designed us. And he designed us for good and to be healthy and to be whole and, of course, you know what happened. You know what ruined that. Yes, sin. So the truth is, when the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, regenerates us, not just our hearts, our souls, our beings, but our minds, we all of a sudden realize that's not true. And so, of course, like everybody else that is in their 20s, we travel Europe with a backpack trying to find ourselves, right? We, we, we try to look for a name in life. It's right here. It's the aim in life that the Lord wants to bring us back to ourselves. So we know, as Christians, we know that this is true. When the Lord Jesus takes possession of our heart and our soul and the Holy Spirit comes into our being, we are not our own. In Christ, we have been bought with a price, a precious price called his life. So the very good news is, as I've said before already, that the aim for our lives and purpose that Jesus has for our lives is not a better life now. It's not the best life now. It is the whole life now and for eternity. It's to make us whole again and for us to truly flourish. But, yeah, we all know we live in this thing called the flesh. We live in this world that's constantly, constantly giving us, well, how's that going for you last week, this Christian life? Did you forget this little... Tail side of the coin thing, you know, maybe you want to check that out. And we, we just, we buy into it and, and we lose our focus. Um, and so this is why Paul makes this charge to Timothy. So here's my question for you for this week. Which side of the coin do you lean to? Do you lean to the side of the coin that says this? I will identify my own aim in life for me for my purpose in life. How many of you have been doing that? And for how long? How's it going, honestly? You answer that question. Or, how about this? I am truly, right now, and I've maybe even said this before, but right now, I am fully open to and would truly appreciate it if someone would identify for me my aim in life, my purpose in life. Those are radically different sides of the coin, aren't they? One side is called teachable, (laughs) and the other side is, yeah, not so much. That's the side of the coin that the Holy Spirit wants us to be on, I think, as he teaches us through the scripture, but particularly in this passage today. Radically different sides of the coin. But my experience, honestly, that these are the two dominant sides of the coin of life that virtually all of us land on. So I hope today, what we'll see today as we go through this, uh, the aim in life as, as Paul experienced it, but also that he passed on to his beloved son in the faith is also what the Holy Spirit has for you and for myself. So number one in our text today, our number one point is the charge to proclaim. First two verses will be on screen. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, to judge, pardon me, the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So I I, I believe you'll also, as I've, I've already mentioned a little bit, Remember from our, our time in First Timothy and now in Second Timothy, the story of how Timothy got to where he is today. Right, we know how he was raised by his grandmother and his mother in the sacred writings, and then to faith in Jesus. At 19 years of age, he meets Paul, and he goes on this, this journey with Paul to see what good ministry and the Christian life looks like. And then at approximately the age of 30, Paul plants the church in Ephesus and says, Timothy, you're staying here. You're going to be the pastor and the leader of this church. And he leaves them there. And so over the past five to six years, after writing the first letter to him, it's been a tough go for Timothy. We, we've seen this throughout this series, first and second. We've seen it's been a tough go for him. He's young. He, he's not given much respect by those in the church, especially the older men, you know, t- tapping him on the back, going, it's okay, young man, we've got... We used to do it this way here, so it's okay. We'll take it from here. He, he was a bit timid in, in his constitution, And that's not putting him down, but he just was. He was was susceptible to criticism, maybe about his preaching. I've never experienced that personally. (laughs) Right? People leaving the church, false teachers, divisive situations, hurting the flock, people he loves. He's had a a really hard go of it. And, and also, Paul, we saw many weeks ago where Paul was actually really concerned that he was becoming actually ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ and the Word. What's that mean? Well, it means basically he was shying away. He was like, you know what, today I think we'll have a, a warm and fuzzy message. We won't really talk about sin, and we won't read, definitely won't read anything by Paul. You know, we'll, we'll talk about We'll talk about marriage and and, and singleness, and we'll we'll talk about money and finances and how we can help you grow your bank account. That's shying away in a not-so-good way, but, but it's shying away from the truth and the words of God. And so now he charges him, listen, to trust one side of the coin, the side of the coin that he was called to. I think the most important thing, and I, I, I added it in my prayer, is that word, if you look at it on screen one more time, it says, right, I charge you in, in what? In the presence of God and in the presence of Christ Jesus. So I want us just to meditate on that for a second. Right? I've said this many, many times before in various messages, and people look at me and go, why is he saying that? But the truth is, you all, all of us know this. If people could read our minds throughout the week, if our spouse could read our minds, if our best friend could, our boss <laughs> could read our minds, well, most of us would be out of work. We are never out of the presence of God, amen? We're never out of the presence of God. That's a good thing. It also should be a bit frightening. It should make us conscious of the reality of where we're at. And so he, he says that to me. He says, he says, Timothy, I charge you. I charge you, Glenn. I charge you, Bill, Mary, John. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Again, this letter is read publicly. (laughs) He's saying, Timothy, I'm charging you in the presence of all of those in your church who are listening to you now. All of those who saw you last week, take the Lord's name or whatever. Some kind of besetting sin that they saw in you, I'm charging you. It's also in their presence and it's in the witness presence of all of us, right? And so he's, he's... this is a witnessing thing that he's doing, and it's fantastic. It's Paul is not saying, uh, but, but and not calling on the Father in Christ to be witnesses to this charge it, per se. He's calling us all to be witnesses to this charge. And so, if you're Timothy, it's like, I mean, on one hand, I'd be like, "Sure, I, I, Holy Spirit, could you read this to the people at the Rock Church? Is this is what you've charged me to do, because like, I want to keep doing it." But I'm, I'm a little. But by the same token, it's. There's a weight of responsibility that comes with it, not just for the preacher up here, but for everyone who's being witnessed and witnessed to this. So again, our aim in life, I want to suggest to you, is actually being witnessed by everyone in our life. It's also being witnessed by everyone who is following us on social media. Amen? What do you think? What do you think your aim in life is? How it's being seen, how it's being witnessed? Let me ask you this. Is there a witness from day to day, week to week, in your life, in your walk, at work, on social media, of your faith in Christ, and the goodness of his word, and the truth of his word? Is that part of your aim in life? Uh, Hebrews 12 is, again, one of my favorites. I love it. Uh, Verse 1 says this. It's an interesting verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. People say that they're not sure who authored this book. Sounds like Paul to me. I don't know. The race that is before us, right? Sin that besets us. Sounds like him. Might not be him, but it sure sounds like him surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So I don't know for sure. People ask this question to me all the time. Um, can, can, can my mom and dad who are now with Jesus, can they see me? Like, like I, I don't know. I don't think so. But we do know that the devils and his, de- his demons can. We do know that the angels can. We do know that God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit can. But it tells us here there's a great cloud of witnesses. Now, who are they? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? But we don't know, but we are being told by Scripture that we are being watched. (laughs) There are witnesses to our aim in life. That, by the way, is why we perform sacraments and ordinances in the church, right? That's why we do it. That's why last Sunday we had seven individuals come up here and publicly proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ in baptism, so that it would be witnessed it was incredibly encouraging for those of you who are here and I can see you this morning who were baptized last week to witness, not you going in and out of the water, that was, you know, that was powerful and wonderful, your testimony to hear it and to witness. And that's why we do it. And that's why we are commanded by Christ and the apostles follow through with that is it's a public witness of our aim in life has now changed. That's the idea of it. So that's one of the reasons why we do that. It's to proclaim this. Marriage is another good one. Marriage is another good one. That's the reason why people say, well, you know, it's just a piece of paper. Christian, it's not a piece of paper, okay? It's a covenant relationship that we make in the presence of God and witnesses that we will be faithful to this other person until when? Until death do us part. Thank you very much. Someone knows their Bible. Right, it's a public testimony to what witness? To what? Our aim in life. That's a good part of it. It's an incredibly important part of it. Another example would be, and I know all of you love this, all of you who are given over to the autonomous self, membership in the local church. Yeah, you love that one, don't you, right? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will sign up. I will sign up for that. I will publicly declare that the Rock Church is going to be my church family. I want to do that, right? Please don't even anyone take that the wrong way. But it it is, that's what it is. It's, It's saying, this is my family. I covenant together with them, and and I want people to know that. People stop you on the street and say, hey, so you're a Christian, where do you go to church? And you tell them, right? And so that's one of the reasons why we do that. And yet again, in all of those areas, we have that autonomous self that's going, well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. And then off we go into our own aim in life. So verses 1 and 2 should be back on screen again one more time because I want to show you this. Paul reminds us that it is Jesus, our witness, who will judge all of us. So I, I don't know. I don't know if I take this as seriously as I should, from as much as I should, as often as I should. But the point is, is that there's a scorecard happening here. Good deeds, not good deeds. Does it cancel our salvation? No, it doesn't. But he's going to judge us, the non and the Christian. We are going to be judged. And he is taking note of these things. And so people see this here, but also Timothy reminds, Paul reminds Timothy of Jesus' appearance. Some would suggest that's about his second coming. I don't believe so. Most commentators would agree that that's not true. It's about his appearing, his inauguration of the kingdom when he first came, when he was born. That's what he's pointing to, and he's he's encouraging that. And so next we see that key that Paul has been encouraging Timothy and everyone who is Christ Jesus to do when it feels like false teachers and their false teachings, when those divisive wolves are coming to the church. Remember we went through that? And I was saying to you, you know what? I know what I want to do. I want to learn apologetics. I want to learn all of their bad teaching and their bad arguments, and I want to take them to task on social media. I'm so grateful that the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit, told Timothy, that's not what you're to do. Don't do that. He says instead, right here in these these words, three words, Timothy, preach the word. Preach this. Preach this. Remember the illustration we used during that passage when we looked at it of the counterfeit $20 bills and how the idea was is that you just needed to surround yourself with thousands of older, newer, authentic, real $20 bills. You need to hold them, look at them, smell them, maybe put them on a bed and roll in them. I don't know. But, but get to know them so well. The idea was, get to know this so well that when the counterfeit raises its head, its tail, you'll know it in a heartbeat. That's the point that he wants to get across to Timothy here. And then he says to him, listen, you need to preach this word in season and out of season. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. To what? To reprove, to rebuke, to exhort with complete patience and teaching. Just keep at it. Be ready. What does that mean? It's a personal thing. It says, Timothy, you need to be in this. You personally need to be ready. You know, as, as a pastor, as a leader of the church, as any Christian, you can't be modeling or trying to model for some other disciple in the, in the faith, the Christian walk and yourself really not know what you're doing or have your aim in life be questionable. No, it needs to be an aim in life similar to the Apostle Paul. So basically he's saying here, listen, you, you need to be ready, be ready. To share the word, be ready tomorrow morning when you're talking to someone, even if you're just like a baby Christian and you barely know the Bible, but you know enough to at least be able to say, "For God so loved the world that He gave, gave His only begotten Son." You know John three sixteen. You know some Scripture, right? You know the truth of the Scripture that we're all broken, we're all sinners, and we need a Savior. That the reason why you're struggling in your life today, why this is happening, that is happening to you, you've gone down that road. Your aim in life has obviously been off course. Let me tell you about my aim in life. Like, just start sharing your life and your testimony with people. That's the idea of being ready in season and out of season. There are going to come, again, as we learned in 2 Timothy, it's always going to be difficult, but there are going to be more difficult seasons and less difficult seasons. And the idea is be ready in all seasons. Be ready by being in the Word, preach the Word. So finally, the word preach here, I, I, I need to do this for you, would better be translated, proclaim. Proclaim. Because again, this is not, this is not for the guy who stands here on Sunday mornings. You know, I know some of you would like to go, I wish it was. <laughs> no, it is for all of us. We're all to be proclaiming the word of God. We are all called to go and make disciples who make disciples. Did you get the memo? Right? We are all called. We are all called to do that. And so I want you to think about that this week. And as a matter of fact, what I'd like you to do this week is I'd, I'd like you to make it a daily exercise to be considering a passage I'm going to bring up to you in a minute. So that's point number one, and that is the charge to proclaim. It was given to Paul by Jesus. And Paul passes it to Timothy, who passes it then on to the church in Ephesus. And today the Holy Spirit is passing that on to you and I. Number two, what lays ahead? What lays <laughs> ahead? Oh, Paul, what are we to be ready about for, for and about? Well, he says in verses three and four, "For the time is coming." This is a prophetic future event that he's talking about. When people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers, to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into <clears throat> myths. So the word for here, um, it's it's a good translation, but I I like it better to say, why? Because. (laughs) It's because. Why do I need to focus on preaching the word? Why do I need to be ready in season and out of season? Why does my aim in life need to be a carbon copy of yours, Paul? Because. The time is coming, and he's pointing forward to a future event when these things will be very true and can I just ask this question rhetorically? Can they be any more true in our day? Can they o- honestly be any more true that people are turning away, falling away? Really? Uh, let me be the bearer of not good news. Uh, I've seen this in my life because I've been around maybe longer than some of you, but in the 60s, you know, we were all hippies and rebels, and we were you know, rebelling against the man and inhaling substances or whatever, rebe- you know, rebelling against authority. But guys... What's happening specifically in the church since the early 2000s is, biblically speaking, a great falling away. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but this is just the reality. It is a great falling away happening in our day. These things are coming true. People are turning to all kinds of teachers and podcasters and books and authors out there. Why? Well, let me give you the words of a pastor who wrote this in 1978 in his commentary uh, based on this text and passage, um, his name was Ray Stedman, a Pensacola church, uh, Bible church in California. I love this guy. He wrote this. It'll be on screen for you. They will do this because, look, the truth requires the admission of human weakness. That's what the truth requires. None of us want to believe that if we're on the tail side of the coin, right? We don't want to believe that, which people do not like to admit, he says. The restraint of passions, which they do not like to do and submission to authority of God and other authorities under him, which they dislike and reject. He put it this way, further about this text. He says, they have itching ear disease. I like that. Actually, it's not good, but it's a really good way of putting it. So here's the reality. What they have to offer, the scripture is saying, what they have to offer in these myths, in these fables, are actually lies. That's what they are. They're lies. They're, they're, they're wanting to take you and I, the people in the world, uh, to keep them down that path, the wide road that leads to what? Destruction. And so keeps, you know promoting these fables and these myths, and what they are are actually lies. You'll remember uh, we did a series on spiritual warfare a couple of years ago. That was fun, right? Amen? It was so fun. And uh, I used the book by John Mark Comer, uh, Live No Lies, kind of as a, um, you know, a thesis for it. And he said these words, which really were the thesis of his book, which I love and the will be on screen. And this is about the, the lies, the myths that are being told to us who come from the father of all lies, who is who? The devil. It should be on screen for you. It says this, deceptive ideas, the devil, he's constantly planting them out there. Here they are, you know, the tail side of the coin, that play to our disordered desires, our old sinful fleshly nature, they play to that. We're like, oh, that sounds good. Let's start. And then they become normalized in a sinful society. Again, do we see this present in our world today? Yeah, we do. Paul likes to turn things to the better and we're going to do that now. And then he says in verse 5, Timothy, as for you, Christian, As for you here today, always be sober minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I find that incredibly encouraging. He's saying that to everyone. He's saying that to everyone. I got to tell you, 15 years, some of you, you've been around here long enough, you know that. Um, it's a good thing that I've had mentors, pastors, and other men who have been mentors of mine over the past 15 years because there are times like Timothy where I'm like, yeah, you know what, there's got to be greener pastures. Where it's like, really? Really? Do I need this? Why? Does my wife need this? Do you need this? And this encouragement is so important in our lives that we, we, we see this as Look, it's what's going to happen is what is going on. And so he's saying, be sober-minded. In other words, think clearly. I love that. I had a biblical counselor help me through my sabbatical of three to four months, I think it was, in early 2021. And that's what all he was trying to make me do for two or three months was think clearly about these things, Glenn. What is really happening to you and to the church and COVID and all the rest of it? Think clearly. Be sober-minded. Endure the suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. What is that? A proclaimer of the truth. (laughs) We're all called to be evangelists in some way, shape, or form, to share Jesus with our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones, and finally, to fulfill your ministry. And so again, this is not about the super-Christian. It's not about the pastors, the theologians, you know, the apostles. This is about all of us, to fulfill our ministry in life. And so I I want to encourage you to do this this week. If what I'm saying to you about this being your ministry as much as mine is like, I don't know, Glenn, can I encourage you to go to Ephesians 4 and make that your homework this week? Because Ephesians 4 starts off with, maybe Paul's suggesting this when he writes to the Ephesian church in that, and it's to the church in that letter. Walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. That's how he starts that passage. And then my favorite verses for the church are in verses 11 and 12, which will be on screen, and it says here, and he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the apostolically gifted, the prophetically gifted, the evangelists, the shepherds, right? The pastors, which is the, Greek, the Latin word for shepherds, and the teachers to do what? Is it on screen? Yeah. To, to equip who? The other pastors, the other elders? No, the saints in Christ. For what? The work of ministry. We're in this together. We're all called to this. And so it's a beautiful a beautiful calling, and that is our aim in life. That's why we do this every week. That's why we go into mission community group, is to learn more deeply what my path and my journey and my aim in life should look like. Why? Because it's best for me. <laughs> it's what Jesus died to give me so that he could live it in me and through me and through you as well, Right? Number three, passing the torch, and we'll close with Paul's words, which are beautiful. Okay, Timothy, why, why, because, because, again, because. Why am I telling these two things to you? Because, Timothy, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Definite article the race, and I have kept the faith. Uh, Being poured out uh, as a drink offering uh, in the RSV is translated, I am at the point of being sacrificed. It's a very good translation. Um, This sacrifice is a reference to the drink offering that uh, would end many Jewish feasts, particularly end the day of atonement. A big jug of wine would be poured out over the altar to signify the end of the day of atonement, the day of atoning for the sins of the people of Israel. And so Paul's modeling a couple of things here. He's modeling for Timothy and us what it looks like to actually fulfill your ministry. There's nothing that Paul asks Timothy or the members of the church in Ephesus or you and I here today that Jesus didn't ask of Paul and the church in Ephesus and you and I here today that they themselves didn't do. Suffer to the end. And so, also in these verses, what Paul is doing is, is, is he's announcing, I'm passing the torch, Timothy. Why do you think I'm trying to charge you and encourage you and, and, and lift you up in front of the church by writing these to you? Because you and Titus and Sylvanus and some of the others, I got to pass the torch, man. You got to take this torch. And they do. The words, the epitaph that he puts in here are just awesome. Do you see the words that are highlighted? I fought. I fought the good fight. I finished. I finished. I kept. Would you not like that on your tombstone? I think that should be on his tombstone somewhere near Ephesus, where he apparently is buried. Finally, he leaves us with the conclusion, which is the great reward for a life so lived in Christ. And it is these words. Henceforth, there is laid out for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all of you, to all who have loved who's appearing, Christ's appearing, Christ's appearing. One thing we should understand from this is that it's like what was said last week about those who are being baptized. Uh, Paul talks about it in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, I believe, when he's answering the question, when they're cut to the heart, what shall we do? He says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, they already had the Holy Spirit when they were regenerated and born again and knew that, okay, I'm a Christian, now I need to be baptized. They already had the Holy Spirit. So what was that? Well, that was... The gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts, the Holy Spirit will act upon your obedience through the waters of baptism saying, okay, read the Bible, read Corinthians, and it'll tell you, I, I am the giver of gifts so that you can do the work of ministry. And that's what happens there. Same thing here. When, when you, this is hard for us to believe. It's hard for me to believe because I know Glenn, okay? But when you come to faith in Christ and you were generated by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are made perfectly righteous. Do you know that? That's, hard. That's sometimes hard to believe, isn't it? Because we know ourselves, but you are. And the whole idea is live in it, live up to it. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit, through the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. What Paul's talking about here is the crown. He's talking about the crown. That, do you think he received it? He's prophesying, henceforth, I will receive it. He, of course, received it. So will you. So will you. Scripture also teaches us that, you know what most of us are going to do with our crowns? Take them off, and we're going to throw them at his feet. Not out of anything, but just a total understanding that I'm not worthy, but he is. Amen? He is the one who is worthy. So friends, this too is our call. I hope you'll see this today. For Timothy, to, to fulfill the ministry that has been given to us, is given to you. It's your aim in life. It's a great life. It's a great life. And how do we do that? Well, proclaim the word. Start doing that this week. Find ways to do it. I know, I know. Find ways to do it. And, and be aware of what lies ahead of you. If you step out, if we step out in faith like that in Jesus Christ, you know what's gonna come? Cancel culture. Persecution. It's just it's gonna it's gonna come. Be ready. Be ready in season and out of season to live the life. And then you know what? Disciple someone whom you can pass the torch to. That's what I hope we learn from this text today. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Son. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for this word Thank you, what you for what you've been teaching us as a church through this series, through these series. That you've, you've been teaching us this, Holy Spirit. You're the one who's been doing it, I, Father. I am. I'm so encouraged, and I know other members of our church are encouraged about the discussions we're having in missional community groups. That are, I'm sure we talk about life and fun and various things that we do during the day. And yeah, we talk about our challenges at work and various other things, but the majority of the time we're talking about you and we're talking about your word and we're talking about the difference that it's making in our lives and and how we're, we're understanding our aim in life better. So Lord, we're grateful. We're really grateful for that. And we pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in us as a church. You would continue that work and drive it deep into our hearts, into our souls so that we will be ready and we will enjoy this aim in life that you've given to us because it's for our enjoyment. It's for our joy to know that we have this kind of purpose and aim in our lives. So, Lord, I pray for everyone, uh, for my brothers and sisters here this morning. I pray for every visitor here today, for, for some who these words are really new and, and, and maybe, you know, it's a side of the coin that you haven't heard before or aren't even sure about. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, uh, you would touch those hearts. You would encourage people to trust you and to believe that you have a way and a truth and a life for us that is incomparable and that is found in Jesus Christ. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen.